We're fully ending the Christmas season with beauty between what Aaron and Teresa and, and Dorothy and Connie and all of us did to make ourselves pretty and now this singing, I'm ready to start the new year with Jesus and with God. Great is his faithfulness. <clears throat> I, um, I, I was in um, New Jersey last week I heard that uh, Doug preached and as usual his messages are very much appreciated and uh, I think I heard from him a little bit about what he preached. He uh, jokingly told me, you know what, I just, I just told him my dirt. <laughs> and I told him, you're right on track. You're right on track. That's what's needed. Uh, there's a great author that said, one does not get enlightened by imaging figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. It's... Uh, it's when we acknowledge all of what makes us that we are able to, from the depth of ourselves, receive the help that God is wanting to give us to become fully human. And uh, so my message today is a little bit a uh, continuation of that message of last week. I, uh, I want to preach not as a successful winner but as one of those that recognizes he's human and that there's a richness in this humanity that needs to be considered and, and accepted and that God has created us this way, wants us to be, to be acknowledging what he's done and to let him do the work of growing us to the full stature of Christ. Isn't that what we're supposed to be in Ephesians? That we should grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ, Ephesians chapter 4. The day, I think, is a perfect one to do that, the beginning of the year, and it's, <clears throat> it's right after the Christmas season when we have remembered the birth of Christ. Now, I have a question for the old-time Lutherans here and those that have um, been raised in the tradition, the historical tradition. What is the name of the Sunday that comes right after uh, the Epiphany? Yeah. Beg your pardon? No, that's, 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 that's a long way down the road. You know, be, between the birth and Pentecost, we have a number of things. But I'll give you a hint, because uh, um, in the Gospels, after there is in Matthew and in Luke, after the Gospel writer has talked about the birth of Jesus, what's the very next thing that comes in? You know, it's something that we'll be reminded of today with Glenn. Baptism, that's right. The very first weekend meeting day after the Epiphany when we remember the three kings coming to recognize Jesus as the Messiah of the nations is the baptism of our Lord. And that falls this weekend. So it's a perfectly good weekend you know, to fully identify even with some of the remembrance that the world has of the life of Jesus. <clears throat> Actually, uh, today is January 8, and I know somebody in this congregation for whom today is their baptism anniversary. I think she's sitting right next to Connie here. Rebecca, you remember? January 8, 2001. You remember too much on the date? Well, I'm reminding you. You were baptized on January 8 of 2001. You were eight years old. Mm-hmm. 
And it's not that anybody has to be baptized either on Easter day or on the Sabbath in which the church remembers the baptism of our Lord. But I think that's a good day to do that. And I think there is something in common between the birth of Jesus and his baptism. It's not just the letter B. It's more than this. I think both of them, both of them, both the birth and the baptism of Jesus show his identification with us, with the human race, with humanity, with each one of us. You see? Identification. It's a big world, it's a big word, but it it points to something very simple. It, 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 it points to his becoming part of and being united and accepting being part of us. Now, each one of you look good today. You've put on your best to come on Sabbath morning to worship with the church, with the congregation. But each one of you knows what took place the past week and the past year. There's been some high moments in which you're gloriously proud of yourself and happy and full of light, right? You've had some good moments last year and last week. I hope so. You wouldn't be here otherwise, I guess. And then, if you want to be honest, you look back as well into last year or even last week, or even perhaps this morning. And there's some other moments that were not so bright and so happy, right? You know, maybe some moments that you, you were sad or maybe some moments that you were ashamed of and you don't want to bring those up. That's why on Sabbath morning, you don't come <laughs> just as I am, like this with your shorts. <laughs> you know, you just put on your tie and you just, uh, how are you doing? And you look good. But these, these things, these are part of your experience, just as much as the high ones and the happy ones. And that's, what's, that's, what's, that's what constitutes your experience. That's what constitutes your humanity. What makes you? The good and the beautiful and the things that are less than perfect. Well, in the birth and the baptism of Jesus, in both, I think that Jesus showed his willingness and desire to identify with not just humanity in general, but with your and my humanity. Heaven is a symbol for whatever is completely perfect. But earth as we know it and humanity as we know it is less than perfect. It's mingled, right? That's your experience and that's what our observation is well. And Jesus in his birth accepted this and identified with this became part of this, became one with this. And in his birth, of course, he was a baby with not much consciousness and not great ability to, to, to express his choice. But when he was of age, at 30 years of age, Jesus was able to make a conscious decision. And he confirmed his identification in birth by being baptized as other sinners were. He made the choice to consciously 
identify himself with sinful humanity by being baptized. You see? That's what there is in common between the birth of Jesus and his baptism. As a matter of fact, this concept of the identification of Jesus with you, accepting all of you, the good and the bad being part of it, being willing to just embrace it all. By the way, he's doing in this something more than most of us are doing. Most of us like to embrace the good moments and the good stuff and to shun or even forget completely the quote-unquote less good stuff. The anxiety that we spoke about at Sabbath school, all of these things, we consider them, we consider them bad. We don't want to even see them. But So in, in that, Jesus is doing better than we are. He's showing us that he accepts it all. So it's, this concept of identification is not just something that he did in his birth or in his baptism. He did it before too, in his incarnation. In the moments before he left the perfection of heaven, the unmitigated perfection of heaven to become a speck of dust in the womb of that teenager in Nazareth, in his fall, if you would, in his fall from heaven, you know. And I'm not totally unbiblical when I say this because in, in Philippians chapter 2, um, the coming of Jesus in his incarnation is called a kenosis, which means his descent. In his willingness to descend from the unmitigated perfection of heaven, to become part of, to unite with, to identify with the good and the bad of common humanity, Jesus showed us that he was willing to identify with us. There had been before some beautiful things that were said in the scriptures about how we should be, and so on and so forth. But once more, I'd like to remind you of that quote that I stated at the beginning. One does not get enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious accepting and acknowledging it. And that's what Jesus did in his incarnation, in his birth, and confirmed in his baptism. It is often something we don't do, and there are reasons for not doing it. It is not that safe to do it. It is rather unsafe, both because of the Pharisees around us and the Pharisee in us that just wants to look good. But that's the only way. And if you notice, it's not just in his incarnation, not just in his birth and baptism, but it's also throughout his ministry that Jesus identified with not the bright and socially accepted and beautiful, but with what? Jesus was known as the friend of whom? Jesus did not choose to be born in a clean and gorgeous palace. He was born in a stinky, dark stable with the poor. And by this, we're not just talking about wealth. We're talking about the poor of human condition. All of us are, no matter what your bank account. And so he did this in his birth, but throughout his ministry, Jesus identified 
identified. He was known as the friend of sinners, of publicans. He was criticized for acknowledging, identifying with, and being united with not just the bright and beautiful part of human experience, the heavenly part, but with the earthly part of what makes you human when you come into this church. There's a powerful message in this. Jesus wanted to show us that it is through the acknowledgement of this, through the acceptance of this, through the non-judgment of this, but it's embracement, it's embracing that something good happens to human nature, that human nature is improved. I've mentioned the incarnation of Jesus as a sign of his identification with us in everything. His birth and baptism, his ministry, and all the way through his crucifixion. There's a beautiful image of the crucifixion of Christ that is given in the Old Testament in which the serpent in the desert was put on a pole. The serpent, which is a symbol of what hurts, of what is dark. And I didn't know that Mikey would have this, this story today, but the serpent both in, in the scripture as well as in human consciousness, is something that's scary and hurts. And paradoxically, it is by putting this negative aspect of nature, this thing that wants to kill, this thing that has the potential to kill, by putting this thing up on a pole for us to see it, it's by looking at this that the Messiah is the Redeemer, by becoming identified with this, by putting this out in the open. The result of Jesus' identification with humanity, both in its beautiful as well as in its what we call sin in the Christian context, but what I would like to call the, the potential for destruction and for selfishness and all of these things, which we need in certain way. But by identifying with this, by going down as a sinner in the watery grave of baptism, the results, note them. It is as Jesus does this. Jesus before this was not declared. Throughout the 30 years of his growth, he was not declared as the son of God or anything like this. When did this happen? It happened precisely when Jesus was baptized, identifying himself with all of humanity, that at that moment, at that moment, that the heavens opened, and a voice was heard, and the Holy Spirit came in bodily form, and he received approval and sanction from the Holy Spirit and from the Father that he was the Messiah and the Son of God as was read this morning by Dave. It is at that moment that God recognizes Jesus as the anointed. And it's not just him, but I think that it's each one of us. It's when we acknowledge, when we confess, when we state and accept who we are, both in the good as well as in the less happy that God is able to recognize us as fully human, his sons and daughters, as his image. And 
acknowledging this, that he's able to transform us, because that's what the, the rest of the story tells us. I'm saying this because, as Christians, many a time we have a fascination with the light, with what's good. We want to be closer to God and so on and so forth. And we are in a cult culture, a Christian culture, that totally rejects darkness and, and what's, what's not um, within the best and the heavenly. But there must be a practical, and there's very little, I think. There's a general knowledge that we are sinners, but we many a time, even though we mouth that we're sinners, have very little practical awareness of how the other part of us functions. And that's something that must be become for us something that we know, something that we confess, something we accept, something that we acknowledge. This morning in the Sabbath school lesson on fear, as I was passing by there and somebody was wondering if I was the teacher, I said, no, but I could because I'm an expert in anxiety and with fear. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes we think, oh, that's all bad. But imagine how you would live without fear. Is fear something helpful? You bet it is. So it's not just that we need to just embrace the peace of the light and just not have any fear. It's just that we need to recognize that fear can be something that's either bad or good, but we need to hold it right there as well. It's part of our human makeup that functions for us. But we don't do this. So at best, many a time, I think that we hide it, or at worst, we don't even know that it's there. And we just push ourselves up there to live in la-la land and deny that part of ourselves that is hidden there and that still is so rich and so full of potential if we let God work with it as well. We need to seek to become aware of everything that makes us human, everything not just in that past week and the past year that is beautiful, but also what is bad and the portions of our lives that we're not so proud of, that we want to forget. These need to be recognized and accepted without judgment and accepted there, identified with the same way that Jesus showed his identification with the fullness of human nature through his incarnation, birth, baptism, crucifixion, and ministry. We don't have to act it out, but we need to hold it there in tension with the Christian ideal that we have and integrate it in our life by the power of God helping us to do that in the right way. What's at risk if we don't do this? If we choose to deny the fact that we, as Christians, each one of us has a potential for destruction, that we have a potential to be sad and to do, see, to do some things that are shameful and so on and so forth, if we deny this, if we don't become acutely aware of it, what it does is that it stays there, but it will come to us sideways and in more destructive ways than if we did otherwise take advantage of it. Have you not noticed how sometimes we're in church talking about beautiful things for Sabbath school or for church? We talk about God. But then after this, we go out of church and, well, just out of the blue, become so upset with somebody who cuts us off on the highway or something like this. It'll come sideways without us knowing it because we cannot reject it. It's there to stay. We must just acknowledge it and let God work with it. There's another <laughs> result of Jesus' identification. 
as Jesus confessed his humanity, accepted it, acknowledged it, and so on and so forth. Then after what happened after he was baptized, Jesus went into the wilderness, didn't he? And I want to say that when we get baptized, we are buried with Christ, but then we are raised to newness of life, aren't we? Newness of life is a theme of the New Testament that's linked with baptism and also with the baptism of Jesus. Throughout the New Testament, we hear that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. We're being told that we should be renewed in our mind. In Ephesians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 4, Romans chapter 12, that we are regenerated by the Spirit, and so on and so forth. And so when we are able to acknowledge ourselves fully and accept ourselves for who we are in our humanity, not in our up there, but in our humanity, there is something that God is able, which is to renew our thinking on this. And I think that Jesus pulled himself out of human society for a while to go into the wilderness to think about his ministry. Empowered by the new life that he received at his baptism, by the affirmation of God, he went out to think. And that's something that I'd like to encourage you to do at the beginning of the year. As you have reflected on what made you good and bad over the past year and past week, as you go out of this church here today, I think that's something good to do, to be renewed, to be a new Christian by thinking about what it is that you could do, that God could do through you, so that you are a new person that's more like what God wants you to be. That you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what Jesus did after his baptism. And I think that's something that comes only as the first step is taken. I want to say that there is um, something that God can do only with those that are dead, that acknowledge that there is some parts of themselves that are not good. Confession leads to God being able to work through us and renew us in a way that we couldn't do otherwise. In our opening hymn, we sang about Tell Me the Story of Jesus. And as we'll close in a few moments, we'll sing, I love to tell the story. There's a third aspect of Jesus' baptism, identification with us in his baptism, that also applies to us. After Jesus was baptized and embraced humanity fully, he was affirmed by God as his son. And that's what God does to us as we acknowledge our humanity. He acknowledges us as his sons and daughters. Then he renews us in our mind as we're able to take a look, not just in the past, but in the future, how he wants us to become and how he will work this out in your life, in specifics. Think a little bit of your life, and there are ways that God wants to improve your life. But then there's one more thing. After Jesus was in the desert and was renewed in his mind there by just struggling with what he would do, the very first thing that you see after the desert experience in the Gospels is that Jesus started his what? His ministry. And that's something that ties up with what you were sharing with us, Paul. And I think on the first Sabbath of, or second Sabbath of a new year, it's important for us to recognize that once God is blessing us with the willingness to acknowledge our humanity, to receive from him the gift of being his sons and daughters, and to be renewed in our minds so that we can see what he wants to do in his perfect will for us, 
then there's something that we have, a responsibility that we have with others. That's, I think, what prompted one of our members to put an ad on a board saying, I want to have Bible studies. That's what prompts all of us in the few or many relationships that we have in our lives to be of help to others. Sometimes it's not recognized as such, but to do the best that we can to tell the story. By telling the story, I don't mean just to share the Bible studies or the Discover Bible. I'm sharing what God is able to do in my life and in you, in your life as well. It's something very practical. It's something that necessitates your identification with others where they are. Have you ever tra- tried, uh, Paul or uh, Bob, to give a Bible study um, on, <clears throat> on, say, uh, the state of the dead to uh, your cat? That would not work. You must, with my cat, what my cat loves to receive from me is a piece of smoked salmon or something that she really likes. That's where, that's where she is. And each one of us, if we want to be of benefit to others, must identify with, embrace where the, pers- the, where the recipient is, right? The experts here that are giving help to others know this. Mothers know this. You cannot give to a 12-year-old what you give to a 2-year-old. Of course not. And so I want to end as we go to the Baptist tree now in a moment with the same, the very same message that I, I mean, the very same thought with which I started. It is crucial for us to follow the example of Jesus. There's a word for this that's incarnational. But to follow the example of Jesus in his incarnation, in his birth, his baptism, his ministry, as well as his crucifixion, to embrace to unite with, to acknowledge, to confess, to identify with who we are as human beings. There is no such thing to follow the Christian dream here that we've sometimes had to just look at the light and just think about the beautiful thing and just push back the other stuff like it doesn't exist. What you brought here this morning behind your ties, not just the good experiences, but who you are, is just as important and it needs to be embraced. That's what Jesus did. That's what we must do to be able to be of help to others, but even first for God to be able to help us and so we can help each other. So the baptism of Jesus right after the story of Christmas is one way that we act this out. As we make our way to the baptism, I'm going to ask if maybe Dave would come and we would sing an, a song of consecration I was thinking of take my life and let it be. Would that work for you, Sashi and Aaron? Take my life and let it be. And uh, sing this. And when we're ready for the baptism, we can just stop singing. And right after the baptism, if there's still a couple of stanzas, you can sing those before the closing hymn. And uh, I would like to encourage you to make this really as a consecration of yourselves. All, all of yourself. All of yourself, who you are to the work of God in this year, 2012, 11, rather. <laughs> we, are, we don't want to go too fast. But um, as we do this, I think that we'll follow the example of Jesus and be blessed and be a blessing uh, to others. And now, my dear brother, Glenn, um, let us pray and ask the Lord to bless you and each one of us. A great God and Father in heaven, we want to thank you for having brought us to a knowledge 
of you. And um, I want to thank you for having brought Glenn into back into uh, desire to live with you with a strong relationship. You have been with each one of us from before our birth, from our conception, and throughout our lives. But there are some moments in which we are ready to feel your presence in a greater way, as Glenn cannot have enough of your word, as he has studied your word and has expressed his desire to walk in newness of life with you, please bless him. Bless all of those that surround him in his life, Tony, and each one of those that he cares for in a special way. And as he's uh, rubbed shoulder with Paul Presley, I pray that he may join the gang with Bob and become one of those that as you work in his life day by day, he may have something that's life-giving to tell others, tell the story of Jesus in his life in a way that will bring others to this baptism, to this acknowledgement of our need of you and our desire to follow you. And may this be a prayer that's not just for Glenn, but for each one of us here this morning, that as Glenn is being baptized, we renew our commitment to you and be new Christians at the beginning of this new year, 2011. And we thank you in advance for answering this prayer because we ask it in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Amen. And now, my brother Glenn, following your profession of faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and according to his command, as ministers of the gospel, baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that you may walk in newness of life. Amen. 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 While Glenn is still in the baptistry and Dave makes his way back to the pulpit to lead us out in song, I'd like to ask, how many of you, if you could raise your hand, have you, who's been baptized here? Can you raise your hand? Okay. Was there somebody who was, who was, who was baptized more than 20 years ago? Can you raise your hand? Yeah, hi, I can't see you. More than 30 years ago. Yeah? More than 40 years ago. Okay. We got the Kreitzman over there. How many years is that? 60. Amen. Amen. Now, I think Valeria, is it Valeria or is it Barb who was baptized last year? Yeah, Val, can you, can, you, can you raise your hand so we can see who you are here? Yeah. And there are some people who were baptized recently. I'd ask all of you that were baptized before, would you recommend this decision to anybody else? Would you? Can I hear a yes or a no? Yes? Okay. Now, I have a second question. Would you be willing to recommend this decision not just to anybody else, Sandy, but to anybody that's close to you, to somebody that's close to you? 
But if that be the case, Rebecca, you were baptized, and each one of you that were baptized, I challenge you that either today or this week, you would recommend this decision to others the same way that Paul recommended this decision to Glenn. Mm -hmm. And it'll be a blessing to them and be a blessing to you. Thank you. Amen. You know, I've said it a couple of times before, but I always think that uh, those of you who don't make it for Sabbath school, you miss out on so much. And, and especially these last couple of months, or actually this last year or so since, uh, since Glenn has been in the back room with us in, in that room. He's, he's already shared a lot of insights with us, things that, you know, I would have never thought of. So it's just really a joy to to watch him be baptized and see him come up and go like that. It's like, yes. So I, I can't wait to get him involved some way or another. I know he's going to be a great help to all of us. So if we would like to turn again to number 330, we will finish this song, verses 4 and 5. Take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne, it shall be Just to continue uh, for a few more minutes, I wanted to turn to number 337 and sing one verse of Redeemed. Number 337. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child and forever I am, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed, redeemed, His child and forever I am. 
Lord Jesus, I would like to just offer a special prayer right now for for Glenn that you would you would just bless him and carry him through as he he gets to know all of us and and we welcome him in. I personally am so happy to have him officially now as a member of the family and I ask that you would help me to learn from him and, and all of us as well. We thank you for blessing us with him and ask for guidance and protection over him and his family. And I pray, Lord, also for those who are contemplating taking that step of commitment to following you, to doing your will, to do what pleases you, and to walk in your ways, and to finally be a good witness, and to look for those who are searching for you, and to find them, and to teach them also. We thank you again for the gift of prayer, for the gift of your Holy Spirit, and for everything else that you have promised us. In Jesus' name, amen. The, the closing hymn was not being sung. It was another one, so I just came as quickly as I could. Um, you know, I, do you want to sing one first in the last stanza, maybe, or the last song, so we could just cut it short a little bit for those who want to go home? What's the number? 457. 457. Thank you.
God, Father in heaven, thank you for your gift of Jesus. Thank you for your gift of your spirit in our lives. Thank you for this year to let you work into our lives in, way, in ways that will be pleasing to you. Help us especially to be renewed in applying the commandment, the new commandment that Jesus has given us to love one another. And now, glory be to him whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory be to him from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. May the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the communion of the Holy Spirit remain with us all today and throughout this year and until he comes. Amen.